Welcome to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Brian Russell, and today it's my privilege to welcome back to the podcast my friend, my former coach, and still even my present uh, confidant, Mark Danzi. Mark Danzi is an ordained pastor, and he is presently executive director of Narrowgate. Narrowgate's a ministry that empowers trains and sends out pastors and laity to fulfill Jesus's kingdom mandate to make disciples. What Narrowgate does really well is not just give the slogan, make disciples, but they've created actionable content that allows you to create a culture of disciple making within your local church. So if you listen in today, you're going to get some immediately actionable content. If you're interested in Narrowgate, you can check out their website. It's in the show notes, narrowgateefl.com. I'd also encourage you to listen to previous podcast conversations I've had with Mark, episode 28, and especially episode 105. Those are in the show notes, as are Mark's recommendations for books on disciple making, as well as information about me. I would appreciate it very much if you would share this episode with friends and or leave a review. And also, if you do use the links that are found in the show notes, that gives a little bit of back to me. They are Amazon affiliate links, and it helps to defray the cost of making the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Let's jump into my conversation with Mark Danzi on Making Disciples. Hey, Mark, welcome back to the Deep Dive Spirituality Podcast. So good to be back with you, Brian. And you're here today as, again, my uh, my coach and a, a friend and also the director or executive director of uh, Narrowgate Ministries. And I wanted you to introduce that program. And as a lot of Methodists listen to this, both that have folks that are United Methodists and folks that are in the Global Methodist and groups that are even um, now banding together and other kind of uh, coalitions and such, uh, the, the issue still comes down and we were just talking about it. Um, ultimately, it doesn't matter what the church sign says if we don't have great commission churches that are doing the work of making disciples and making sure there's going to be churches for our grandkids that who, and our great grandkids who may not even be born yet. So uh, let's just jump in with that. Talk a little bit about what Narrowgate is, what it does, how you got into disciple making yourself, uh, especially talk about how you started out as a pastor and then you didn't even know how to make a disciple or that's not completely true, but I'll partially just, true. Sure. I'll just share all my mistakes and then that'll take up the whole time uh, <laughs> and beyond. Now, um, thank you again. Thank you for having me. And you're right. Uh, the church that's not committed to making disciples won't exist in the future. I mean, uh, that that's what that's what um, we're learning because people are not interested any. I don't think people are interested in the in the social aspects of what the church can offer. It's about can you help me live my life? Can you bring meaning to my life? You know, uh, and so for me, I was a pastor. I've been a pastor for over thirty years, um, mostly in the North Georgia area of the United Methodist Church, and I. Um, the you know the mission statement of the Methodist Church has always been making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world, um, and I could quote it like everybody else. I just didn't know how to do it, and so uh, for I would say fifteen years I was a pastor and I didn't make one disciple uh, in a church who the mission statement was all about that, 
Uh, and the reason was I'd never seen it. I just, I had served six senior pastors as an associate. I had gone to Bible college and seminary and I had done everything you can do in the church from Emmaus to missions and all. And I just never seen what disciple making actually looked like. Um, so I didn't really know I was off track. Uh, and then I got exposed uh, as a discipleship pastor of a large Methodist church in the uh, metro Atlanta area. I was a discipleship pastor. And if you don't believe me, just read my name tag. There it was. Um, and I didn't know what I was doing. I knew how to do Christian education, you know, organize groups, teach Bible studies, lead trips. But I didn't know how to um, I didn't know how to create a disciple making culture. I didn't know how to train someone to live a life of uh, fruitfulness in disciple making. I got exposed and then um, I got exposed as not knowing how to do it. And then I got exposed to a man who knew how to do it. <laughs> and so uh, he trained me, he taught me um, and I'll be forever grateful. His name is Dr. John Musselman. I had lunch with him yesterday and, um, and I've been thanking him for years ever since to, to teaching me how to live the great commission as a lifestyle. So continue to pastor and, um, and, and try to make disciples of men and women, um, help, help others learn how to do that and, and had some success in it, actually. Uh, started having other pastors reach out going, what are you doing over there? And how can you teach me to do this? And I didn't know how to teach them. I just shared with them, coached them, so to speak. And uh, it just began to grow and then got opportunities to go in other parts of the world and do this with pastors. And really, the Lord just laid the burden on my heart to come back and no longer um, do the day to days of the church ministry, but really pour my life, the rest of my life uh, into pastors and lay leaders and men and women who want to live the Great Commission out uh, in their own way. And so that's that's really what I do through Narragate. And um, we we have groups of pastors and groups of leaders all over the place that we uh, take through a uh, 18 sessions on how to create a disciple making culture in the life of their church. That's a little bit of my background. And, and just before we go a little deeper into specifically what Narrowgate does and, and what, like, say, one on one discipleship might look like. Talk a little bit about, um, let's define a couple of things, uh, like what is a disciple? And I'd also like you to contrast, because you used the phrase, you're a discipleship pastor, but you really just did Christian ed. So talk a little bit about what a disciple is, like how would you know, like how would I know I was a disciple if I was? Uh, how do you know someone's a disciple? And then what's the difference in the church between disciple, true discipleship as you understand it and what typically gets functions as a, you know, religious education in a church context. Well, I love the question because definition is so important. If we don't define what it is, uh, then we'll think everything we do is discipleship only to find out one day we were wrong and we don't get a redo on this, you know? Right. <laughs> uh, so discipleship, um, I'll just give you a classic definition um, it's, it's a concentrated process. Um, it, it occurs when a more mature believer uh, prayerfully enters into a committed relationship with either a small group or individuals uh, for the purposes of teaching them knowledge, skill, and character. That's really uh, what it's about. It's done under the direction of the Holy Spirit, though, so it's not a cookie-cutter process. 
and the point is so that they'll follow Christ without reservation and then do what he tells them to do. And so that's kind of a classic definition of what discipleship is. When I ask pastors typically to define discipleship, what does that mean to you? Uh, first off, I guess the answers are always on the ceiling because they always do this. Hmm. And, and we usually just kind of shoot from the hip. Like we haven't really thought this thing through. It's the major, the, the Great Commission is the mission. <laughs> but it's almost an afterthought for a lot of church leaders uh, because we're so busy putting on worship services and budgets and staffing and all of this kind of stuff that we actually take the main mission and set it to the side as an afterthought. Now, that's what I did. Let me just speak for me. And so this idea of um, of one of the first steps I like to take a pastor through is define it. What is it that we're doing? What is it we're making? Because when Jesus told the disciples to go make disciples, we don't see in Matthew 28 where they sat around uh, scratching their head going, well, what does that mean? Well, how do I do that? Well, what would it look like? They knew. They saw it. They had a front row ex experience to it, and they went and did it. And, and here we are today. So I think the uh, definition is critical um, to what it means. But really, you could boil it down even more simple that it's about creating um, the Great Commission, living out the Great Commission. But the focus is on maturity and multiplication, those two things. How do I become a mature believer? And how do I multiply my life? Not, a, not addition, but multiplication in my life uh, in the lives of others. And so we feel like uh, over the years, we've learned a lot by studying this, reading this, doing this. Um, and we've got a process that, that we've put together that the Holy Spirit's given us that it works. We see it work all the time. And what we're not about is to say, hey, go do what we're doing. No, no, we want to help people learn how to do what we do in their context with their DNA and, and, and what would work in, for them. But it has to go back to the life of Jesus and what did he do with the 12? Um, I'll just kind of wrap it with this. Uh, one, one man, Dan Spader says it this way. He said, when you study the life, when you study discipleship, you don't always see Jesus. Mm -hmm. But if you study the life of Jesus, you always see discipleship. So we really want to bring it back to, I mean, I'm a big Wesley fan. Uh, there's other ministry leaders I'm a big fan of, but let's kind of hopscotch all the way back to what Jesus did and stay focused on what did he do? And because it worked and continue to try to figure out how do you do that in, in, in this modern context? And you, you mentioned three areas where discipleship takes place or three, you said knowledge, skills, and character. And if you're going to contrast that and, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to sit here and beat, we're not be here to beat up local churches and ministries and such, but would you say that the, the, the biggest disconnect, cause you said that you're looking for maturity and multiplication and obviously knowledge is part of that, right? And so maybe traditional discipleship programs are more about knowledge, but you talk about skills and, and character. Is that where you see the disconnect is and how most churches do discipleship? They're just basically teaching people interesting things about the Bible. 
Yeah, it's about, uh, it's it's a academic approach. It's a head knowledge without the expectation that you're really going to do something with this. There's no accountability to take what you've learned and now live it out uh, in, in most contexts. So think about it. Um, you know, Bishop Lawson Bryan told me one time that he, he said, I think we lost, he said the Methodist church started to decline in the eight, late 1800s. Really, that's when we see the the real decline begin of the Methodist Church, and he he told me uh, it's because it was the birth of Sunday school. Um, because now, what it, what Christian education looks like, or we would call it discipleship, sit and listen, and I'll teach you things about the Bible and Jesus, and you'll go off a little smarter than you were when you came in. But there was no expectation for you to go do the same. And so, what discipleship focuses on is not just knowledge. There is not a piece of knowledge, a component in each session, but then there's also a skill that can be acquired, can be developed and honed. Uh, and then from that, we also do soul care, uh, which creates uh, character development. And so it's very possible to sit in a Sunday school class for 30 years and never take anybody to heaven with you. It's very possible to sit in a Bible study for 20 years and never share the gospel, never know how to share the gospel, never trained to do it, um, never trained um, on how to take people from where they are spiritually to whatever that next step might look like. And so this is where the skills come into play. Now, every uh, a lot of areas of culture do this all the time. I mean, when we think about this concept of an apprentice, you know, I know how to do electrical work. You come work with me. I teach you and you do it. And then you go off and do it, right? Or fly a plane. They want to learn how to fly a plane. Well, you got to sit with a pilot. You learn about planes. You go up with the pilot. You watch him do it. Then you do it. Then you're a pilot. But then the church comes along and we say, oh, you don't have to just, just listen to me. I'll, I'll tell you, you know, all about the Lord and Jesus and living for God. And then see you next Sunday. <laughs> oh, by the way, go on a mission trip. So there's never this apprentice model of, well, walk with me and I'll teach you how to do this. And then you'll demonstrate it and then you'll go do it. That's the piece that's missing in a lot of contexts. And we would call that skill development and character development. So so talk about a little bit. I know if if the pastors who, who may be listening, and by the way, is, is Narrowgate open to lay people that might be interested or is this exclusively for... Uh, for people that are leading churches, whether associates, but like staff people at churches? The best groups we have have lay people in it, okay. uh, especially if a church sends a pastor and a lay person because of the accountability there. Awesome. Um, but yeah, some of the best disciple makers I know are not ordained and are not serving in, as clergy. They're committed to the life of the church uh, as lay people, but, but are seriously committed disciple makers. And in, in, in the ultimately, the, the, the real truth is that most revivals take place, they're lay driven anyway. So this actually, the whole point of this is to unlock the gift of the laity in the church. And so it's not just professional, you know, the worst thing is you end up being, you know, you, you or me in different parts of our lives, we've basically been uh, paid holy men who dispense religious goods and services. <laughs> yeah. well, I, I like the term that... Um... That's pretty funny. I like the term that um, Paul David Tripp says when he describes pastors. He says, most pastors are quivering masses of availability. <laughs> Not too flattering. No, it's Why? exactly. And this is about empowering, right? Empowering yeah. a lady to do the work of ministry. 
that's the mandate of Ephesians 4. Paul said, equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So I'll go to a church and talk to a pastor. How are you doing? The pastor's doing everything. Yeah. And the reason is, is because they think that's their job. And then they, they've never read Ephesians 4. No, Ephesians 4 is equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Now, equip there in that uh, context means two things. It means to repair and prepare. And so as we, as we help people repair, <laughs> you know, redemption, uh, as we help people reclaim their life, their identity in Christ, you know, uh, healing the past, forgiveness, saboteurs, all these things that help a person become whole. Uh, but that's not the end of the game. Now we prepare them to go and do the ministry and reach back into the lives of people who were just like they were at one point. But I think there's a, there's a, there's a disconnect there. And we assume that, oh, if you want to make disciples, well, you need to go to seminary and become a pastor. Problem is seminaries, no offense. I know you're a seminary pastor. We don't really see seminaries actually producing disciple makers. We see them producing pastors. You know, so when Jesus said, go make disciples, he didn't say go make churches. So go make disciples, but all the training is on how to make a church, right? And we've seen the church growth models of the 90s and the 2000s. We've tried everything, right? I mean, how many conferences can you go to as a pastor to try to learn how to grow this church? But most of those conferences are on numbers, not on depth. And so what we're talking about is how do you shape a life? How do you invest in people? How do you see transformation? Uh, and how do you orchestrate transformation? Now, I know that's the Holy Spirit does all that. I, I agree. But Jesus didn't tell the Holy Spirit to go make disciples. He told us. <laughs> yeah, and you're talking about making a container where the Spirit can work really well, right? I mean, that's what that's what we're talking about. Yeah, it's a, it's a greenhouse effect, so to speak. Yeah. You create the environment, and the Holy Spirit makes it grow, right? God makes it grow. But... um. Yeah. And so a part of that though, is, is really coaching. So one of the things about disciple making is, is I can't just hand you a playbook and say, call me if you need me. You have to see this in real time. You have to be discipled if you're going to be a, a disciple maker. Um, now, this is where I think what Narragate's doing is we don't just teach you and train you and say, go do it. We actually disciple you to be a disciple maker. And we hear it a lot that from pastors is I've never been discipled before. I'm highly educated. I've just never been discipled. And so we just feel like that's the disconnect we're trying to fill for the church. And, and so let's get down into the weeds a little bit. And obviously there's this whole commission institute with a narrow gate and, and pastors come and do um, like some intensive stuff with, with you. And you could talk about how they could get involved, but the basic model then you follow Robert Coleman's The Master's Way of Discipleship. Um, you know, you, on previous podcasts, I'm going to link to the other podcast that Mark did with me on disciple making disciples. So we don't completely repeat that. So I'll link that. But you talked about how, you know, once you begin to be a disciple making pastor, one of the first things, which is kind of interesting, instead of just like putting an announcement out, hey, we're doing discipleship, you literally pray. Uh, for the people that God's going to put in your heart. And you've talked a lot about that the last time, but once you actually get a group going, um, talk about what actually takes place on a weekly or bi-weekly or how, and even talk about how often in a sense, you know, again, you, you people have to contextualize, but like, what's the, what's the model look like and and how do you teach knowledge, skills, and character in a context of a small group? 
Like, what have you learned and what are you trying to help the pastors to be able to do? Mm, yeah. And that's a big question, obviously. And I'll well, yeah. give all the secrets away here, but. Uh, oh, no, I'm, I'm open book. Um, so let me just go ahead and put on record very little of what we do is original to us. We are, we are more of a collection of a lot of great works, great pastors, leaders that are doing disciple making. We've just collected them and put it together for people to come, you know, learn from. Uh, and so we, I learned this from Randy Pope. Randy Pope is a pastor at Perimeter Church in Atlanta. He built a megaplex church on disciple making. Um, yeah. Told me he and I lead a Bible study on Friday mornings at a local golf course here. He's now retired from the pulpit, but he's still doing disciple making around the world. And and um, he told me one day he said, "Mark, I've uh, been I'm in my 43rd year in a row of training a group of men." Wow. He's had a small group of men for 43 years in a row and uh, that he's been personally investing in. And so we've learned several tools from several places. But one of the things I learned from Randy was this TEAMS approach. Now, it's an acronym, T-E-A-M-S. And so basically in the life of a group, let's say that the men, I, I've got seven guys on Monday mornings from 7 to 8.30. And uh, I'm just, now these are... Uh, young men in business. These are leaders in their family home church. Um, and what we do is we'll spend uh, some time on truth. There'll be a passage of scripture that day that we're digging into. There'll be some, um, you know, a, a narrative of that scripture or something. And basically the truth of the gospel, the truth of, of scripture. And we'll, but we don't spend the whole time on that. We spend a portion of time on that. And that's important. Uh, that's the T. The E stands for equipping. And uh, this is where we are learning skills. So I might say to you, Brian, hey, Brian, why don't you turn to, uh, now last week we talked about how to share the gospel in three minutes. Um, and so why don't you turn to John and why don't you practice sharing the gospel with him just like you're in a coffee shop and the rest of us are going to watch and then critique you when you're done. Are you ready? Go. Mm -hmm. And you can see the sweat and all nerves. Oh, gosh. Um, you know, but if you won't do it in this environment, you definitely won't do it in the coffee shop, right? So we train you, and that's the equipping. Okay, so you've got to spend some time on that. How do you have a spiritual conversation with someone? How do you share the gospel? How do you share your testimony? How do you do inductive Bible study? All these types of skills. There's probably 60 uh, that need to be imparted into the life of a, of a mature believer. The A stands for accountability. And this is, you know, nothing great happens without accountability. Matter of fact, there's this thing called Judgment Day. Now we're going to get real morbid real quick, right? Um, but do you believe, let me just ask you on record here, do you believe you're going to stand before God one day and be judged? Well, I, the answer would be yes, without sounding like a heretic. The question exactly how terrifying that's going to be, I think, is another question. But uh, yeah, I, I think I think well, it's clear that you stand before God, and there's going to be a reckoning of your life. Every one of us, every one of us, and so my job, because I love you, is to help you prepare for that day. You don't have to go into it with your fingers crossed, and 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 you know fear and trembling and, and scared to death. And oh my gosh, this is going to be horrible. You're going to meet your God face to face. Yes. But, it, but, but I'm not going to high five Jesus at the gate and God's going to noogie me into the kingdom here. No, this is a serious thing. And uh, 
So my job as a disciple maker is to help you get ready to make that day one where you hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. So account, but, but we need to have accountability to do that. So anything you want to do in life, if you mix accountability with it, you're five times more likely to actually do it. And discipleship without accountability is not discipleship. And so in every group, we add that, you know, did the scripture memory of this week. Let's, let's share that. Uh, last week, you were, we were praying about this challenge you're facing. How are you doing in that area? You know, you mentioned you had a tiff with your wife uh, last week. Um, what did you do this week to mend that or to care for her or love her? This accountability. Now, that doesn't always happen in a Bible study or right, worship. Right. No. And so that's the accountability. The, the M in teams. So we have truth, equipping, accountability. And the M stands for missional living. Now, it's really easy for Christians. They, they say that the average Christ person who comes to Christ within five years has no lost friends. We insulate ourselves in the church. Uh, and when I ask pastors and people all the time, who, you know, who are the lost people that you are hanging out with? Um, you know, I get a lot of blank stares. I had that blank stare when I was asked that question almost 20 years ago. And so I started going to a golf course. Uh, well, I found a bunch of lost people there. <laughs> um, but I started making friendships and spending time and hanging out. And so that's what we're trying to do in a discipleship is say, get out of your church, get out of your house, get out of your cubicle and begin to, to, to get to know people who need to know Jesus. Yes. And by the way, give me the name of one. And we're all going to give the name of one. And then we're all going to pray for this person. And next week, we're going to ask you, you know, how are you doing and sharing the gospel with that person? It's it's like taking life to another level where you're now on mission. Yes. Um, but it's, it's to seek and save the lost. And, and so many Christians, uh, and so we do a tra an equipping training in our groups around how to do that, right? So that's the and missional living. Now, some people have another mission and like, well, I, I work with orphans or I work with youth or I uh, work with uh, grief share, things like that. And that can be another tentacle of the mission of your life. But every Christian needs to be on mission. And, but that mission also needs to include reaching the lost. Yes. Um. So that's the end. The final one is is supplication uh, of the team's acronym, and that's prayer. Yes. Um, you know, there's a great YouTube sermon out there um, that Sinclair Ferguson does. I, I um, my men, my mentor calls him the Prince of Preachers. I love Sinclair. He's a Scottish pastor, and I, there's a sermon out there on YouTube right now by Sinclair Ferguson on John 17, and I probably listened to that sermon now 15 times. And basically what he talks about is intimacy comes through prayer. Intimacy with other men comes through prayer. Intimacy with God comes through prayer. And, and in this sermon, he, he talks about how Jesus, how, how intimate it must have been for the disciples to hear Jesus pray to his father. They never forgot that, especially John. And so when we pray together, it bonds our hearts together. But think about it. If I pray with you once or twice, not so much. But if every week, and I'm asking you how that request is going, and we're praying together, 
that creates a bond like no other. Yes. So in an actual time of a group, so let's say it's an hour and a half, we're going to talk about truth. We're going to do some equipping. We're going to deal with accountability. We're going to talk about missional living and we're going to pray together. That over a period of time imparts something into the life of man. Now he's equipped or she is equipped to take what I've learned and actually go do something with it. <laughs> because I know I'm going to be asked next week, what did I do with it? It's good. Yeah. And it just, you know, one of the things that's always helped me the most, because you know, a lot of times people get the idea that, well, the, the, the soul, when he's old term soul winning or the gift that evangelism, that it's a gift. And I think what I'm hearing uh, and the language that I've, this comes from one of my mentors, Alex McManus. Uh, he's the one that always says the gospel comes to us on its way to someone else, which I've Ooh. said in every class I've ever taught. I, I love that quotation so much. But the other thing I learned from Alex, because he's very introverted like me, um, is he always said that he doesn't believe evangelism, making disciples is a gift. He believes it's a value. And mm. uh, and there's a huge difference there. <clears throat> uh, and, and you've just illustrated that if it's if it's a gift, it has to be given. If it's a value, it's something that you embody, which involves... which training. And, and that's what you're actually talking about. You can actually learn how to share your faith. Again, some of us can jump up on a public square and talk publicly, and some people are going to do it one-on-one, -on -one, but we can learn the skills to tell our story. And that's one of the, the great things that I've loved about my relationship with you, just watching you and and actually meeting even some of the men that you've discipled over the years uh, who who are now some of the supporters of Narrowgate uh, with very with a lot of generosity and such too. So talk also about how the difference between making disciples as church growth, which could be really fast, and making disciples Jesus way, which looks slow at first, but then multiplies. Could you say a little bit about that, and we'll, then we'll start yeah. wrapping up a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so any any apprentice model takes time. You know, you can't be apprenticed in a week. I mean, apprenticeships usually are three to five years in, in the secular world. A pi again, electrician, pilot, whatever. Interestingly enough, when you study the life of Jesus, you see that it took about three years for him to disciple these. Now, you know, the, for him inviting them, actually, we think maybe happened in about 18 months of the relationship. So... Um, there is this 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 thinking that you cannot microwave a life. One of the lost arts of uh, that, that we're losing in our culture is that we want everything to happen so fast, and it is happening fast. But we're also losing something in the process of that. And so, it's my personal belief that um, it, it's like raising children. You can't raise a child too fast. It's detrimental. Uh, and so there are some things in, in nature and in culture that won't uh, adapt to the breakneck speed. You know, parenting. Well, think about spiritual parenting, which is kind of what discipleship it really is. And so, you know, bringing folks together um, for three years uh, is really... Now, I don't share that with them up front. I don't say, hey, you want to get in a group with me for three years? Because to the to the baby Christian, that might sound like, oh my gosh. You know, most pastors don't think people will sign up for anything over six weeks, uh, but they do. Yes, the reason yes. they don't is because you don't offer it. <laughs> and so this idea that it's going to take time to shape a life, but once that life is shaped, it'll never be the same, right? 
And so discipleship is not a church growth strategy. The pastor that, that, that looks at this, oh, we're going to do this because it's going to grow the church. This is not about growing the church. This is about growing disciples. You're going to grow people that may never attend your church. That's a good thing. They'll attend somebody else's church. Still a good thing. So Mike Breen says it this way, if you focus on the church, you rarely get disciples. But if you focus on disciples, you always get the church. So I've had men in my, uh, I'm pastoring at a church, preaching uh, all the time. And I've had men that I've discipled for three years, never heard me preach, never attended my church. Uh, I love that. That's a good thing. you know. So I would say to the pastor, don't look at this as a a, a church growth strategy. Look at this as a as growing people, as growing as a kingdom growth strategy. Um, because what you want is for these people to spread, like the Book of Acts. You want your people to spread and go out there. Um, how tragic, Brian, would it be if in the Book of Acts we see toward the end, and fourteen years later, when Paul visited the upper room, the same hundred and twenty were huddled together, you know patting each other on the back. <laughs> it would have never expanded. So one of the hardest parts about this for pastors too, is once you've invested and poured so much into so few people, and I know that's a crazy sounding concept, then to say to them, we're done. Fly from the nest, little one, go multi, I'm going to go get some more uh, to, to invest in. And and, and then to let them go, it's really hard for pastors because we, we've built friendships, we've built connection, and I'd really just rather huddle together till Jesus comes back. When, in fact, the ironic thing about Jesus is he had this very interesting pattern of doing the exact opposite of what we would do whenever there was a lot of people, he left because he knew there were other people to get to, right? So, so talk a little bit about, you just hit the key thing, right? For a pastor to embrace this model, uh, you have to have a kingdom mindset and not just a church growth mindset. Uh, I mean, the reality is, I think if you would, if you do the model, you're actually going to make your own life as a pastor a lot easier in your local church. I've seen enough people that have gone through narrow gate that that are that are doing that are doing this already. But it's a it's a long game. It's not a quick fix. Um, but so talk a little bit about how do you put in the expectation from the beginning? Because it's not so much you're kicking them out of the nest because you've already been flying with them the whole way through this discipleship process. So how do you make it part of the process or expectation that literally what we're doing together, you will have the privilege of doing with others solo? So how, mm. how does that work into the into the program? Uh, and again, obviously, there's going to be people that don't ever do anything. But how do you get the folks, for the most part, that that you disciple to multiply? Well, yeah, that's that's a that's a good question. Um, I'll try to. I'll and I'll make to... this the last question too, and then we'll talk about how people can find out some more information. Yeah, yeah. Picking your brain here, so thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, first off, people need to know what they're saying yes to. Uh, we're, not, we're not about baiting and switching folks. Um, you know, hey, come get in this Bible study. Aha! Now you're... <laughs> uh, but what I like to do is to start with spiritual leadership and to say, how can you become a better spiritual leader in your home, in your business, in your community? And that now just that alone has a hint of expectation that you're actually going to lead, okay? Um, and so 
you know, we began to look into scripture. What has God called us to do? And so it really is just a matter of faithfully following Christ, God's plan for your life. And once you get to the Great Commission, you realize that that is not optional. Uh, that's not a suggestion. It's it's a mission. It is the mission of the church. Now, if you're going to be in the church, we need to learn how to live this out in our lifestyle, in our context. And so over that period of time, I'll drop little hints to these folks now, Brian, like, you know, I'm going to teach you this skill today, but when you're teaching them in that you're going to disciple, here's how I would teach it. So you're dropping little breadcrumbs that you're going to, um, the expectations you're going to do something with what you're learning, right? And so it's, it's that idea that Christianity is not a spectator sport. The Christian who shows up and sits in the bleachers and never takes the field is, is probably the most dissatisfied Christian you have in your church. They're the ones that are complaining. Here's why. Because, you know, those that expect to receive more than they give will always be dissatisfied. It's just the way it is. And so what we're training you to do is, is to train truly how to give your life away, how to lead others. And so I'm going to be dropping those hints all along the way. And, and, and then also clearly communicating as we go that the call here is to make disciples. I'm going to show you how to do this. Yeah. Now, at the end, am I responsible for you following God's will for your life? No, you're responsible. I can't loan you my faith. I, I just can't. You're going to stand before God yourself and give an answer for your life. I'm not going to give an answer for your life. I'm going to give an answer. Did I train you well enough to go and live out God's will? And so I believe that uh, if if I'm discipling six people for three years, and let's say that four of them go on and, and become disciple makers and two of them don't, well, this might sound cold and I don't mean it that way, but that's on them, not on me. I did what the Lord called me to do. I gave them everything I could. It's like a parent. You 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 raise your kids to independence. They fly from the nest. And the way they live out their adulthood is not your responsibility. Now, parents will always second guess themselves if their kids turn out, you know, better or worse than they thought, uh, especially if they're worse than they thought. But ultimately, you did what you could do when you could do it, and then it's on them. And so uh, what's happened, but, but what's not happening in, in what we're seeing around the world even is that the church leaders, pastors, even lay leaders are not taking seriously the Great Commission. So there's no engine. And I, I, I say it this way. Discipleship is the engine of the church. Uh, if you were going to go buy a brand new car and all you looked at was the wheels and the cup holders and you never popped the hood to see there was actually no engine in there, you, <laughs> shame on you, right? So what I like to do is help a pastor pop the hood of the church and say, where's the engine here? Um, and, and, and as you do that, you begin to realize, wow, We've got to take the Great Commission, and that's what's going to fuel this. That's what's going to fuel this thing called the church. That's what Jesus died for. Jesus died for the church. Jesus died to build the church, obviously. But the church is built up through discipleship, or, or through through the church is built uh, of disciple makers, right? Now, I know I said earlier that you know it's not a church growth plan, uh, but the pastor who gets this kingdom minded mindset. Um, be, begins to realize, you know, for God to love the whole world, not just my little parish or my little corner of the woods. Well, if God loved the whole world, so should I. What am I doing about it? 
And, and so, um, yeah, pastors who are territorial, who are not kingdom minded, actually become very uh, paranoid. And I hear them. You know, my church, this this church stole my people. <laughs> really? They duct taped them and put a bag over their head and threw them in their trunk and took them to their church. Right. I think I know. I think your people actually left because something else was, you know, drawing them there, good or bad. But pastors have to become less territorial, more kingdom minded, and then figure out is what I'm doing now growing the kingdom? And if not, I need to learn how to do that. That's a good word. Yeah. So to kind of wrap things up a little bit, I want you, we, you know, we've been talking about discipleship and I do encourage folks to go back and listen to my other uh, previous interviews with Mark as well, to get some more insights into this whole process of making, of make, having a church of disciple, making uh, disciples as a, uh, as a goal, as, as what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a church kingdom outposts. So Mark, uh, um, I'm talking, have you talk about how folks can get involved in narrow gate, but first, could you list out uh, if folks want to do some reading? I know that you're a big fan of Coleman's Master's Way of Making Disciples. Is that that's actually the title, right? I'm always got, I think I always get no, it's it called the Master Plan of Evangelism. Master Plan of Evangelism. Okay, correct. All right. Yeah, that's a good resource. So, um, I so I'm going to help everybody listen to this. I'm going to I'm going to give you a gift here. Uh, if we ever meet, I'll probably ask you what's the best book you've ever read on disciple making. Um, Say 80% of the time, uh, I'll have trained clergy tell me, I don't think I ever have. Um, so you're not going to be able to, so now I'm going to give you a hint. You're going to be able to say, oh, I've read these, you know. Um, but Master Plan of Evangelism by Dr. Coleman is is a, is a gift to the world. It's 1960, he wrote it. And it's the eight steps that Jesus used to, tra to train the 12. And we can still yes, do it today. Yeah. Uh, another one is Transforming Discipleship by Greg Ogden. And Greg lives in Carmel, California, past uh, disciple maker for over 40 years. And um, his book, Transforming Discipleship, is a it's the first book we have people read when they come into the Institute. Um, we want everybody to experience his, his slant on that. Um, there's, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think. Uh, Biblical Principles to Discipleship by Dr. Alan Coppage is interesting. It's kind of a textbook read, honestly, but it looks at discipleship in the Old Testament. We often think that discipleship was a new concept that Jesus did, but it's actually all throughout the Old Testament too. And his book does a good job of looking at that from a covenant standpoint, that God is inviting us into this and we can accept or reject and so that's a really good one. There's one uh, called Creating a Disciple-Making Culture by Brandon Gwinden. He's a pastor in Texas. And I love his book. I've never met him. Um, I love his book because his focus is not on how do you create a disciple-making program? How do you create a disciple-making culture? And Peter Drucker said it, you know, strategy, or excuse me, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yes. So what, what church leaders are often doing is trying to build strategy versus building culture. But culture's greater than. Culture will outlive you. And you've created, and I would say to every pastor or leader listening to this, you have created a culture. It may be, you, you may love it, you may hate it, you, <laughs> it may work, it may not, but you've created a culture. Is it the culture that you want? Is it a culture of disciple making? And so that book is also an excellent book. There's a book by Robbie Gallaty uh, called Replicate. 
He's a pastor in Long Hall at, uh, in a Baptist church in Tennessee. Um, and so, as you can tell, we're not about denomination. I mean, there's people in all denominations doing great work for the kingdom. Um, but I would say to a pastor, start reading, read, figure, you know, it, it's important to read the right things. And so these books on practical ways to become a disciple maker um, is, is really helpful. And, and through our institute, you're going to experience six, eight, 10 books um, that we'll that we even read and experience together um, that I believe are going to really uh, mold and, 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 and create a different trajectory maybe for your disciple making. So good. Yeah. And now let's, I want to give an invitation and an opportunity. And like, I've done some coaching with, with narrow gate. So I've coached some of the pastors who have gone through the program and I've seen the, seen the results, but I know that you're starting some new cohorts. This is a cohort based model that's open to both uh, men and women. You've used the word men a lot as you've been talking, but this isn't just exclusively for men. This is men and women. And there's men and women that are presently in narrow gate. So talk about some of the areas where you're putting groups together. And then also say to someone who's, who's listening, like, geez, I'd love to do this, but I don't don't live in those places and it's like maybe how they can find out some more information yeah yeah first off well um as you mentioned a coach brian so every pastor or leader that goes through the institute also gets a personal coach and we have seven on our staff you're one of them and um what what you found is anything that you mix coaching with you know has more sticking power to it so we don't just train you and say good luck we train you but then you have access to this professional coaching, which is really a, which is really a big deal. Uh, so we're starting groups in uh, Birmingham, Alabama this fall. And uh, these uh, are, there are non-denominational pastors, Methodist pastors, Presbyterian pastors, different types, different denominations. Uh, and so if you're in the Birmingham area, would love to have you come. Actually, we meet in person uh, uh, just a few days a year, and then we meet on Zoom a lot. So if you can fly in or drive in and be a part of that cohort, we'd love to have you. Um, we're starting one in another one in Kentucky, in the Lexington area. Um, we're starting one in North Georgia, uh, which will be up more toward the Dalton area, north of Atlanta. Uh, we're starting one in South Georgia, uh, which will be down below Macon uh, in kind of central South Georgia area. Uh, and then Florida, we're North Florida. We've got some groups that are going to be forming there too. I didn't mention the work we have in Russia and Poland and Ukraine and Nigeria, by the way. Uh, but if you want to be part of one of those groups, <laughs> that's even possible. Uh, so the best way to, to do this is to just go to our website, which is Narrowgate EFL. Now you have to add the EFL to get to ours. NarrowgateEFL.com. It stands for Equipping for Life. And when you go there, you can just say, contact us. And we have a brief little questionnaire we want you to complete um, because we don't take everybody that applies. It's a selection process. We want to make sure we're a good fit for what you want and, and vice versa. And so if you went to our website, narrowgateefl.com, contact us. The, the Commission Institute is there. You can read about it, see if there's some videos. And then there's a ton of resources on our website that you're welcome to go and peruse and use. Uh, we don't need credit. Take you know, own it. Uh, but we would love to share that with you. And we'd love for you to become part of the Commission Institute. These groups are made up of about eight to 10 pastors and leaders. So they're not huge. Uh, they're more intimate and more personal. And we really want to keep it that way. 
So yeah, does that answer the question? Absolutely. And again, just to be clear, we 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 talked about this earlier. These are open to both lay people and pastors, so you don't have to just be a pastor listening to be part of one of these groups. So definitely check out narrowgateefl.com. Uh, Mark, I want to thank you for being my guest again. I also want to thank you for being my friend and you know and my former coach and even my coach still sometimes today. Super grateful that uh, the Lord put you in my life, and I'm so happy to share this information with them. Everyone who's listening all the way to the end today. Thank you, Brian. All right. Until next time, folks, uh, live by faith, be known by love, and be a voice of hope in the world. Amen.